Welcome to the Rise to Change podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Escani. And I'm your host, Marcela Torres-Noguera. We are mental health professionals with a private practice in New York City. And guess what? We're not only partners in business, but also in life. This podcast explores the everyday struggles of working professionals uh, that we've seen through our combined 25 years of practice, as well as uh, in our personal lives. Our motto is to normalize and not minimize. Thank you so much for joining in. I'm happy, we are happy to have here today uh, an important guest for us. Her name is Wendy Behari. Uh, she's the author of the book Disarming the Narcissist. And uh, Wendy has over 30 years experience and she's also the director of the Cognitive Therapy Center in uh, New Jersey and also the director of the Schema Therapy Institute of New York, uh, New Jersey and DC. Wendy, uh, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Daniel and Marcella. It's wonderful to be with you. So, Wendy, uh, we we would like to talk to you about, I mean, our podcast today will be about some common struggles that we see in the professionals we work with. We work with professionals in New York City mainly. And, of course, you know, the topic about relationships comes up, either that people come to us individually or sometimes we see couples as well that are struggling with certain issues. So we would love to just uh, go over a few topics that we feel are kind of like common struggles that uh, couples bring up to us or individuals that are struggling in some way in their relationships. The first one of them is... Communication, right? <laughs> it's really the most common reason for couples, at least, you know, initially when they reach out or individuals that they're struggling in their communication with one another. And we would love to hear, you know, from your perspective and in your experience, what, you know, for, for the audience listening to this, like, how do we know if we are communicating well with our partner? What does that look like? Any mm -hmm. ideas about what can help people figure out if it's really, you know, something that they are struggling with or not? Mm -hmm. it, this is a great question. And you're so right, Marcella. This is one of the most common problems that comes into couples counseling, couples therapy, um, even into workshops. Couples will say, we don't communicate well. Yeah. Which is a very big general statement about usually a lot of other challenging issues that lie beneath the surface, but communication does matter. And anyone who knows my work knows that I'm a big believer in the power of empathy and empathic attunement, empathic understanding. And I spend a good deal of time because I work with couples in high conflict, usually with issues of narcissism, helping them to bring more empathy into their communication style, meaning speaking about what you already understand about your partner's sensitivities and triggers and expectations and bringing that right up front. In other words, I know this might sound like a criticism or I know it doesn't feel like you're being appreciated for the things you do. And my intention here is not to be unappreciative. It's simply to express my disappointment in dot, dot, dot. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a little tedious at first, but I think that when couples get into what we call a rut mm -hmm. where they are now doing this top down processing, you know, you start to sort of look at your partner and automatically you expect to see someone who just isn't going to care, isn't going to listen, isn't going to communicate with you. 
And we need to kind of start over to reframe the patterns, redesign the patterns, re-choreograph the dances, I like to say. I like mm-hmm. that. And that means to do the bottom-up processing, like notice what you're feeling inside. Become a narrator of your own experience. Be attentive to what you expect your partner to be thinking and feeling and add a little empathy as you submit your request, as you express your disappointment or even your appreciation for something. Yes. Yes. And, and that, that brings up a very good point that, you know, a lot of times we hear that a lot of people experience, you know, their partner as more critical, right? And, yes. and not kind of like acknowledging some of the positive things and like right. the appreciation piece is key in, in, in a lot of what we see and the, and the work we have done with, with people around communication that is kind of like, if you can include some of that in some of those difficult conversations sometimes, it, it really makes a big difference. Yes, absolutely. One, one other thing, if you don't uh, mind me jumping in, Martin. Sure. Um, is uh, you mentioned, you know, a person who's the narcissist, right? And uh, a lot of the professions that we work with, um, a big uh, thing, they're here in New York City, they've made major decisions, they will continue making major decisions in a, in a relationship. When it comes to making decisions, how's that dynamic with the with a person who's narcissist and uh, you know how do you go from there what what do you do because it comes up a lot it's one of the greatest challenges Danielle it is because the narcissist is so put together in this way where the most common element in their personality profile is entitlement they feel entitled to have what they want when they want it they feel entitled to their way of thinking they feel like they have to be right There's great need for control in decision-making. I mean, it's wonderful when you're in agreement, but when you have a different (laughs) point of view, it becomes a little tricky, and that's where people get into conflict. And so, again, with empathy, you know, one can begin to discuss and even use a little bit of what I call the narcissistic, well, lots of people call it this, but this is my example of the narcissistic supply, which is, you know, I... I know it's important for you to make this decision. I know it's important for you for all the reasons you've described. And I know it's hard for you when we're not on the same page because it makes you feel like I'm either against you or trying to control you, which of course is not my intention. I just want us to come up with something which I know, I know you too, because you're you're a smart person. I know you want fairness and something that we come up with that would feel fair to both of us knowing that there will be compromises because, you know, we both, we, we both Mm -hmm. know that's how relationships work. So you're giving them more benefit of the doubt than they usually deserve, but the we-ness is less threatening Mm -hmm. and it's less controlling to the narcissist. Like that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in general, just the topic around making decisions and how you're describing, I mean, even with, with somebody that, may not necessarily be a narcissist, but just in general, just how challenging it can be in a partnership to make some important decisions. We work with a lot of professionals that are, you know, they they may be considering other job offers in a different state, right? Mm -hmm. And and here you have, or country, Yeah. yeah. And, there, and then you have, you know, a couple of professionals, you know, with high expectations about, yes. you know, each other's careers and sort of like, how do you negotiate those, you know, difficult decisions where maybe you mm-hmm. will have to um, negotiate 
things like being, you know, being moving somewhere else when you are thriving and your career is going really well mm -hmm. or yeah. things like that. So this is a really tough issue. And mm -hmm. I think when I'm working with couples around this issue, even without narcissism, you know, let's just take that out of the equation for a second. It's mm -hmm. still a tough issue. One of the toughest, in fact, big decisions, mm -hmm. money, investments, moving, yes. um, health issues, yep. children, parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all big issues. And I like to say to couples who are on fairly stable ground, right? They may be in the middle of some tension, but they're on pretty stable ground. They both want the relationship to work. You remind them of that commitment to each other. So mm -hmm. it always starts with you have to have the prefacing or preparatory communication before the actual communication on the issue. And that means sitting together and it helps sometimes just to hold hands for a moment because this is a symbol of connection and friendship. And it might mean even words like, as we go into this really important conversation and this really tough decision that we're facing, where we both have different points of view, let's try to remember that when it gets starts to go to a dark place, maybe we'll take a pause, catch our breath, reflect on what's happening inside of us and come back, mm -hmm. that we'll do everything we can to act in the spirit of protecting this relationship, that we'll be, I'll be respectful of your ideas, you'll be respectful of mine, even mm -hmm. when they're different, we'll take into consideration, even if we don't like it, that it might be meaningful to one another in different ways. And we'll come to a conclusion, you know, where maybe one of us won't be as happy as the other, but we'll figure out a way that we can spare ourselves from that toxic thing known as resentment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nobody wants to give in and end up carrying that big boatload of resentment into their relationship down the path. So I urge couples to have the preparation conversation before you actually go into the discussion of decision making. So that preparation involves what you what you just described, sort of exactly. like just saying, you know, this is where we are and this is yes. but what what comes before trying to do this and making this decision together is that we are committed to this. This is why it makes sense for us to work on this together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and that we want to do everything we can to protect this very fragile thing, which is our relationship, because relationships become fragile mm -hmm. when they're under the pressure of conflict. Yeah. And they're fragile because it, it taps into our vulnerability and anything that touches our vulnerability is part of the fragility of our humanness. Yeah. So, you know, I tell couples, treat your relationship like you would a baby, you know, you're nurturing it, you're holding it gently, you're caring for it. This is your relationship. So as you go into this really tough, difficult, intellectual, wise, thoughtful, mathematical, whatever it might be decision, you have to do that as adults. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you've got your vulnerability in a safe place as you go into this conversation and be respectful of one another. If one of you gets triggered, you could just say, I need, I need to take a pause. Yeah. Because I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling heated. I feel like I need to kind of reflect on this for a little bit. One of the things, uh, Wendy, that you mentioned uh, in your book, I'm not going to give any anything now, but um, it just... Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really important because uh, it made so much sense. Is when it comes to upbringing, right? We deal, well, um, I grew up in Italy, Marcella grew up in Colombia. We deal with a lot of couples that come from different places, right? Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of times what we see a lot is that certain cultural things get... Uh, 
you know, confused with narcissism, mm-hmm. right? And, or sometimes is a little bit of, of that, but also the couple, one person being brought up in a different culture under different circumstances, and then coming to term coming in a relationship where the other person is totally the opposite. Do you see that like in what you do, and and you know how what what's the trick there? It's all around us in New York City. Oh yeah, yeah, um, sure, yeah. But it's such an international melting pot there, and I think it's true. There we have to take into consideration cultural sensitivity. You have to take into consideration even just um, certain socioeconomic sensitivity. Growing up in a certain household mm-hmm. under a certain faith or mm-hmm. under a certain ethnic um, style or influence, certain values that might be different when it comes to being more conservative or more liberal in your way of dealing with life and making decisions. All of that can go into, I mean, for a couple of that, you know, is really feeling very pretty stable, except when it comes to making these big decisions, or sometimes once they have a child and they're facing parenting issues, or they come into some money and how are they going to invest it or save it or spend it? These can become really tough issues for the smartest of people, you know, the the brightest and the wisest. And that's why I think, you know, having that conscious awareness and that commitment to protecting this relationship and recognizing that these differences are likely to spring forth, mm-hmm. not in the times when you're being playful. They're going to spring forth in the times when it's really hard to come to conclusions that where you're not just not on the same page mm-hmm. and you see things differently. And like we, we like to say, we, we like to normalize, but we don't want to minimize, uh, you know, relationships are not easy and, you know, there will be conflict. Right, and uh, and you have to kind of like uh, you know take time to uh, navigate those conflicts. Sometimes it's hard when people work 10, 12 hours, right, demanding careers, demanding yes. professions, right. Yes. Um, which takes us to the next point, which is intimacy, right? Yeah. So that's that's an also, of course, um, you know, a, an issue that that comes up when when we work with couples and. Um, and I think it's it's so hard for, still for couples to talk about these issues in their sex life openly, right? And kind of like how, you know, in your experience, what has been helpful or what would you say like for the audience that is listening to this and they may be struggling with some something in their sex life that, you know, they may want to bring up to their partner, but they're not sure how to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many changes also in in relationships in terms of the frequency uh, of sex intensity uh, intensity mm-hmm. the the level of desire sometimes yes. even from the beginning some of these things may not look like they are going to affect the relationship but over time they become sort of like bigger issues or, or bigger things that they haven't been talked about and then they yes. become this bigger issue yeah and it's such an important issue on so many levels because mm-hmm. Too many therapists are uncomfortable even talking about this with their own clients, which is really problematic. Yeah. But take the therapist out of it and let's just think about the couple for a second. I think that attraction and desirability are very different than love. It's beautiful when they work together, right? You love someone and you feel attracted to them and desirous of them sexually. But things can change into overtime. Mm-hmm. Even that which you didn't expect when you were excited in the early phase of the relationship. 
And it's not abnormal or unusual for a couple to not be feeling it. You know, some one member is not feeling as attracted, even though they still love their partner very much. Mm -hmm. It's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. And I've coached a lot of couples through this conversation of how to say, I do love you. I care deeply for you. And I, I want to feel more attracted. I'm struggling with, and then describing whatever it is that might be the difficulty. It might be something in the partner's appearance or that they're not mm -hmm. caring for themselves as well, or they're smoking or they're drinking or yep. they're something in their hygiene. I mean, these are tender difficult, sensitive issues. Mm -hmm. So again, I always say start with the conversation before the conversation. We need to talk about our intimate life. How can we do that in a way that doesn't become so disruptive? So it doesn't become so such a, you know, a minefield. Embarrassment, for, a sense of embarrassment, a shameful for some people exactly. to bring it up, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And and for some couples, this will be so hard just because of their background, their values. You know, you don't mm -hmm. talk about it. It's it's supposed to just happen. It's supposed to be automatic. And and we have to debunk those myths to like allow that. couples to open up and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's <laughs> that definitely comes up so much in 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 so what much. we do. Uh, yeah. it's, the, uh, the sense of embarrassment, that's that's I, I think we see that quite a lot um uh, in working with couples where you know that maybe the sexual drive is off, right? Yes. Uh, maybe one person is up here, yes. the other person is down here. And then that leads to another issue which seems to happening a lot. Um, people, one person bringing up opening the relationship to others, right? Which opens up another thing, you know, bigger thing with us, which has to do with trust, has to do with everything. Yes. But the bottom line is, if I understand what you're saying, is that, look, you know, don't be afraid to bring this up. This is like important when you're committed and when you desire to continue the relationship. That's you have to. Yeah, you, you really have to. There's so much fear that what I'm going to find out from my partner is that, you know, I'm I'm not attractive. I'm mm -hmm. not desired. I'm being rejected when, in fact, it's not a rejection issue, but the partner is having maybe problems with impotency or is having some problems with libidinal energy. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be talked about, you know, because the body, the brain, the mind, the sexual components within all of us as humans, they do change over time. Mm -hmm. And and without conversation, without communication, people can just start living in disenfranchised camps where they're feeling lonely or, as you suggested, Daniel, someone's acting out, mm -hmm. which leads to further problems like betrayal and, and uh, yep. mistrust issues. Yes, uh, talking about betrayal and mistrust. <laughs> that's uh, well. We we also hear a lot, you know, that couples have gone through infidelity in their experience together, and a lot of couples, you know, or or individuals also that we see that are struggling with these experiences. Like in your in your experience, have you? I mean, do you think that couples can survive infidelity? Yeah. You know, what can we say to our our audience if that's a concern that they are mm -hmm. facing? You know, because they have been the one betraying the, their partner, or they have been the betrayed. ones, yeah, betrayed. Yes. Yeah. I actually have been speaking a lot this past couple of years on the topic of betrayal trauma, particularly in the context of hypersexual narcissism, because mm. it's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of couples who are kind of reeling from infidelities of all sorts, you know, all kinds of secretive 
whether it's sex workers or it's just a person at work or whoever it might be. But the answer to the question is, yes, I think couples can heal. Most probably won't unless there is a big investment on the part of both to dive down deep and really deconstruct the narrative of how this happened, right? Really look inside the story of what happened and this part of the partner, we'll call it the unfaithful part, right? Mm -hmm. Who is this part? How did it evolve? How did it emerge? What was it about? Without blame, without defensiveness, without pointing fingers, right? It's, it's owning it. So the perpetrator of the offender um, in the relationship has to be ready to take ownership of this part of themselves. It's not all of you, right? But it's a part of you that acted out in a way that caused harm, mm-hmm. that created a sense of betrayal, that created mistrust. So we start with things like, are you ready to be transparent? Because transparency has to happen for trust to start to grow. And that means really revealing things to your partner, making your devices accessible, things of that sort. This is just shown to be highly effective when couples are trying to heal from betrayal and mistrust. Mm-hmm. But the dig down deep part is learning about what drove me there and really getting an appreciate, if it's a narcissist, I mean, they have to go deep to understand this part of themselves in order to get out of their own way because there's so much shame and embarrassment and I'm the bad guy. And then defending that, fighting against that and blaming, you know, denial, defend and, and devalue. For the person who's been offended, the betrayed partner, they too need to understand this part of their partner, right? They need to understand it so they can emancipate themselves from self-doubt and self-blame. So you have two people empathically, and there's that word again, right? Diving in and really learning about how this evolved without blame, with responsibility, with a deep understanding of kind of the moving parts, and with a recommitment to being able to work together with respect for the triggers that are going to come up Mm -hmm. for a while and maybe forever. Accepting that there will be times, smells, seasons, colors, tastes, sounds, something on the TV that's going to provoke a trigger yep. and a feeling of insecurity. And that's when an offending partner doesn't go like this, Ugh, here we go again, but instead says, I know that's hard. That's mm-hmm. reminding you of something. Mm-hmm. We're good. We're good now. It's okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of bringing it back to the present moment, but it is real teamwork. Wendy, I like the fact that you you you're very direct. Uh, what you said about uh, some people will, uh, you know, go through and push through, and others, you know, if they don't want to make the investment, if they can make the investment, uh, y- you know, they're not. Um, that's just not going to happen. That's a uh, you know, that's a, a reality. But one of the things that you mentioned, which come comes up a lot, and it has to do with boundaries. Marcella and I were just writing a few notes. Is what you said about giving access to device, to like, you know, cell phone right here, right? Yes. So um, say that there has not been any uh, cheating, right? Or at least that the person mm-hmm. knows of. And when it comes to boundaries, right? Um, what do you recommend to couples? A couple that, you know, they're just dating, a couple that they just began their journey. Um, 
what what's healthy? People want to know what's healthy because they always come to the office and I hear that, oh, that's not normal. And, uh, you know, you, you obviously, you're, you're big on schema therapy, right? Well, what's a healthy boundary when it comes to, for example, cell phone or other things? Mm. Well, if it's the early stage of a relationship, what I coach my clients to do is watch yourself because that's where you're going to get the best data. So if you're beginning a new relationship, pay attention to you. Watch for your own reactions and schema triggers because you. let's just say this, you've just come out of a couple of really difficult relationships. You're back out dating again, you're meeting someone, you feel like this is going well. Well, what are you noticing about yourself? Are you giving in when you don't want to? Are you saying yes when you want to say no? Are you apologizing for things when you haven't done anything wrong? Are you allowing for interruptions in the conversation where you don't get to speak? Mm -hmm. Are you over talking? Are you sharing so much that you see the person on the other side sort of glazing over? Do they seem to share your enthusiasm, even if they don't share all your interests? Do they tend to have some ability to share in your enthusiasm? Or are they like an anchor person who just keeps asking questions without really connecting to any of the content of your emotions? So watch yourself. Mm -hmm. You're saying this is exciting, it's fun, it feels like it could be the one. How are you showing up? Mm -hmm. mm, because if you're giving in again, if you're subjugating your own needs, if you're going silent, if you're allowing behaviors that kind of walk on your non-negotiables, then there's a problem. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's huge in also the non-negotiables, right? And mm -hmm. sort of like that sometimes people or all of us, you know, when we when we start relationships, sometimes we may look the other way, right? Like we may not kind of like be honest with ourselves first about what matters mm -hmm. to us, what's important to us. And, and mm -hmm. that has to do with, of course, the boundaries, but also with maintaining that sense of individuality, right? Like yes. I I need my me time. There are things that we, I, I would love for us to do together, but there are things that are kind of like my thing. And how do yeah. we also kind of like keep that? I mean, I, I find that that's, that's so challenging for many people. And then that creates that resentment that we were talking about yep. many exactly. times when people cannot, you know, they feel like, constricted and sort of like yeah. that they they haven't been able to do what they really you know i mean part of what they really enjoy that may not necessarily be something that you have in common with your partner right 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 oh yeah absolutely and and you know being able to feel and experience and exercise your autonomy in a relationship is critical mm -hmm. to the health of the relationship if you're clinging to your partner or or not really speaking about what matters to you, like maybe spending some time with a dear friend by yourself, or even just taking a walk by yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're not comfortable doing that for fear that your partner is going to feel rejected, and then they're going to be angry at you, or maybe they're going to cheat on you, or maybe they're going to punish you in some other passive aggressive way, or well, that needs to be investigated a bit, right? Because yeah that's only going to lead ultimately to some level of either feeling terribly isolated and losing important connections to yourself and others, but also resentments. And there's nothing more toxic in a relationship than resentment. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we have time for one more question. Um, I don't know if you want to get that. Um, 
Well, in terms of resentment, Wendy, I mean, one thing that comes up a lot too is like once, you know, couples kind of like take that step or, or individuals where they are, they want to work on these things. Something that comes up is like, you know, when, when we have been hurt or we have hurt each other, mm-hmm. is there a way to repair and how do we do that? Yeah. Right? Like with that, you know, if, if resentment has built up yeah. or like, is, is there a way where we can really repair this, you know, these painful mm-hmm. wounds uh, or, or w- whatever has happened that, you know, sometimes couples are really unsure, right? When they start yes. therapy, like if they're going to be able to move on and it, it could be, you know, facing betrayal or just different issues that have just hurt, you know, painfully each other in one way or another. Mm. What is your perspective on healing and sort of like, you know, that possibility of is moving that, on yeah, is that possible first of all <laughs> <laughs> that's a yes or no answer it can well, does yeah, it exist I, yeah i think i think that it can exist i think if the resentment hasn't gone so far as to have really eroded all the good faith and the good favor and the love in the relationship if resentment's gone that far usually it's too far you know i think even the research of john gottman who talks about repair work and talks about contempt as one of the signs of probably a relationship that isn't going to heal. You know, it's problematic when it becomes just so deep and so far that you've you've really pretty much psychically divorced without the papers. Mm -hmm. But most relationships, or I should say many relationships, I've certainly seen a lot of couples do some amazing work. I think we have to have the expectation going into a relationship that there will be ruptures, yeah, because nothing's perfect. There will be fights and there will be repair. If you have your repair kit ready, you know, if you have a way of being able to look at each other and say, let's see if we can repair this. And the repair is not just in the, you know, I'm sorry, although sorries are important. Mm-hmm. The repair is in the acknowledgement of the other person's experience. Yep. So it's, I can imagine that felt terrible for you when I was making that joke the other night. You know, and it's kind of using you as the target. And in fact, that was a really very tender, sensitive subject that you had shared with me confidentially. And I I used it as part of my joke to be funny. I I know that must have felt terrible to you. And I feel so sad, you know, that I brought that pain into your life. That's a great example. Uh, I I think think that that goes a long way. Uh, You know, um, we have, you know, certainly certain... Uh, some of the couples that we work with, they, they definitely respond uh, uh, well to to something like that, direct and, and clear. Yeah. Um, Wendy, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, tell um, what can you do for people? How can you help people other than, you know, of course, uh, buying, um, you know, your book, which is great. I And, uh, you know, I, you share my Aaron Beck is one of my favorite people, you know, with cognitive uh, therapy and Daniel Siegel since uh, we became uh, parents. Uh, that's pretty much uh, yeah. our, our foundation. So, but yes. what can, how can you, what, what do you do? How can you help people? Tell us a little bit about how that. can they reach you? Yeah, can they, can yeah. they reach you? Absolutely. Well, thank you for mentioning my book. Um, it's now in its third edition. There's a lot of new material in the book. And so I'm excited about it. It came out recently again and it is in 15 languages for people who are of other languages so everything is on my website so anyone who would like to gather resources to find out about my training programs online communities consultations 
uh, reading materials, just go to, you can just type my name into your browser and look for disarmingthenarcissist.com mm -hmm. or type disarmingthenarcissist.com and that's how you can connect with me. Awesome. And lots of people know this. I know, I know we, we get a lot of couples that ask for uh, workshops. For example, they plan a getaway with, you know, 10 yeah. other couples and they want to grow and, you know, the part of the community that they're in. And, and you also do workshops. Is that correct? I do. Okay, yes. perfect. Okay, just yes. wanted to emphasize that. I remember yes. uh, browsing through through the website. Yeah. Um, Wendy, it's been a pleasure. I mean, we're grateful for your time. Uh, we'd love to chat with you again in the, <laughs> in the future. If you're yes. here in Midtown, we'd love to catch up with you. And it's been great. That would be great. And you're, you're both terrific. Thank you for having me and all the best to both of you too. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the Rise to Change podcast. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit our website or find us on social media, which are linked in the description below, along with any resources we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening. And remember to always, always be, be kind, kind to, to yourself. yourself.